Welcome to Robot Friends, the podcast that actively harms its audience. Episode 31, Eigenrobot versus Sex. Hey all, I'm here with, with Maybe Gray and with QC, and I guess for some reason we've decided it would be a really good idea to have an entire podcast talking about sex. Yeah. So... That's what you're in for. How are you guys doing? Doing <laughs> great, Egan. Yeah. Good to uh, be here. Yeah. Do I'm trying to think about how to introduce you to, I mean, just QC and maybe Gray. Uh, in group in group mainstays. <laughs> in group mainstays, yeah. Yeah, we need Celebrate no posters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with that, personally. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, I mean, like, I guess we can start off with what what prompted this. I guess. And my recollection is that QC, you've had a couple of threads over the last week or so and, and you had one and I'm going to misrepresent this and you should correct me, but I'm totally going to misrepresent this, but you, you had complaints about sex and how sex with other people has been like unsatisfying because there's just, just a ton of mental shit. Perhaps. Is that what I honestly, Uh, maybe yeah, it's tricky because first of all, I don't remember. I I, I already have half forgotten this thread, and second of all, Great. there's been several other threads since then where I've complained about different things. So right now, I'm just like, well, I have a lot of complaints. Apparently, They've okay, just yeah, no, okay, okay. Out. So like, yeah, maybe maybe just like lay out in some kind of an orderly way whatever your complaints happen to be at this moment. And I mean, God, I hope nobody holds me to what I've said in the past. <laughs> so I, I'll return the My favor. Complaints in the moment, you know, they're actually. Like every time I complain about a thing, it kind of shifts a little bit. Like sometimes I really just wanted to get the chance to complain, you know? And then afterwards I'm like, all right, I feel pretty good about this actually. (laughs) Like this is, this is just a random thought. So like one of the more recent threads I posted was, I was like, it's kind of fucked up that like all the stories I hear about men hitting on women are all these me too stories. But here's this terrible guy who fucking, hit on underage wit or whatever. It's just like, Oh, this is, but like, I don't hear any like counter stories. of like, here's a guy who did good things and people liked him. <laughs> like I just don't. Oh yeah. Did you here's... see that thread from, um, crud, what's her display name? Um, it's gas station Barbie. I think. Oh yeah. yeah Darbra? Barbara Dawn. Barbara Dawn. Yeah. yeah. At Barbara. D-A-R. Darbra. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Like uh, no offense. Darbra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like she, she had this beautiful thread about all of these times that men have hit on her and yeah. it was sort of hitting on her, but not exactly hitting on her, but all of these experiences that she described and she had a lot of them were, were pretty positive. I thought, yeah, that and was everyone's, cool. yeah. And I mean, I've, I've definitely been hit on by guys and enjoyed it. Like, Whoa. yeah. So there was, there was once it was great. I mean, there was, there was one summer when I was in really good shape and I was walking home wearing a pair of shorts and like, you know, I have a pretty high hemline on shorts usually. And because I've been poisoned by fashion blogs. And <laughs> as I was, as I was turning up to go to my apartment, this guy who had been walking behind me for probably, you know, a solid half mile. was like, Hey, I just want you to know that if you were a swing, I'd paint you red and mount you in my back. If I had your <laughs> swing, I'd paint it red and mount it in my backyard. <laughs> And it's like, you know what? First of all, I respect that. Thanks. Second of all, thanks, man. That, that was a really cool thing to say. And I felt good about it all evening, you know? 
such and a he's just like, yeah, no problem, man. And then he, <laughs> then he just walked on and like, we got one, one about our days, but like totally harmless. The guy was like, yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I like your ass. And, <laughs> and that, that was just the end of it. And, you know, the circumstances in that case were, were very different. I mean, he, he probably had like, you know, 50 pounds on me, but also, you know, it was broad daylight. We were just walking down a street. Like I didn't feel threatened at all. You know, he didn't give off a vibe like he was going to follow me inside as I was unlocking my door. And so I don't know. It, it it seems like in an ideal world, everybody knows exactly how much everybody else wants to flirt with them at any or like wants to be flirted with by them at any given time. And then they can just do it. And that maximizes everyone's delight. But maybe maybe the trick is like, what if you flirt with somebody and they actually don't want you specifically to flirt with them? And then, it's, oh, oh, no. No, I'm gotta like, say I'm, I'm I'm listening to this story and I'm like a little I I don't think I've ever been hit on by a guy and I'm like am I am I not hot enough for gay guys is that the problem? Well, I, I, I mean I, I was, I was living, okay so I mean further context I was definitely I I was at my peak at this point for yeah. one thing and for another th- and like wearing shorts that definitely were like pretty tight on my ass and also <laughs> I lived in in the old gay district in Seattle so. Like it, it would not be shocking that um, that there would be just like a gay guy happening to walk around. Can you see, is your screen flashing for a reason? Uh, is it flashing? I don't. Yeah, I don't it's know. It's not flashing on my end. Oh, that's crazy! All right, I lighting. I'm not on drugs, but maybe it's okay. <laughs> it's it's gone. I don't know what happened. So, um, yeah. So so I don't know. So gay guys haven't hit on you. I, I would say spend some time around gay guys and it's going to happen. <laughs> Great. Sounds like a plan. We, we, could, we could get a panel of gay guys together and, and like maybe they could give you advice on like, how to like queer eye. Queer eye for yeah, the and, and, and like maybe that would be good because I, I sort of expect men are typically not hit on by other men unless they spend time in pretty gay dense environments. And so maybe a way to get straight guys comfortable with like, what like develop a theory of mind for being hit on by guys is is like don't spend a lot of time around gay men yeah yeah actually wait no i i lied i that's not true i have been drunkenly hit on by my gay best friend in college that happens i probably blocked it out a little (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i really knew how to respond yeah but also if you've been hit on a bit i bet you'd have more experience in just knowing how to respond you know and like how to like kind of swing with it and if you're into it like how to return it and how if you're not how to like gracefully discourage it but also here we are two straight guys talking about being hit on by guys and i I don't know maybe what do you make of all of this well i think one thing that's interesting is that women women hit on each other all the time and it like indicates nothing about sexual orientation like straight girls will hit on each other just as often as gay girls will hit on each other and i think that that is is something that maybe makes a difference like we get a lot of validation around our appearance in our own like gender like connotation like we we don't rely on men to tell us that we look good we are telling each other that we look good all the time outside of a sexualized context so i can imagine that a lot of men who have this this view that it's insane to them that women wouldn't want to be hit on 
are maybe like experiencing this like validation deferential where they they rely on people who are actually romantically interested in them to give them some sort of validation about their looks whereas women aren't likely to be craving mm. that as much because we're actually validating each other in that arena all the time and so we already have kind of our validation points covered um at the same time like it, it's interesting that already like between the two of you the idea of like how threatened am i is like a a key question that's been asked in terms of whether or not being flirted with by somebody else is enjoyable because it does um seem like that is the main thing that i think women are complaining about when when like qc talks about oh the the stories i hear of people being hit on um by men are all stories of women who were uncomfortable with it 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 does seem like there's like been this watershed of expression of feeling threatened in like the context of men's sexual advances by women and I, I'm not sure what caused that. I don't, I don't know if it, I think it may have started within the context of like workplace sexual harassment and become yeah. generalized outside of that context. And I can see why the Me Too movement in the context of like workplace sexual harassment and sexual assault was something that was probably really important and necessary. It was probably a place where women were carrying a lot of emotion and feeling like they couldn't express any of it. And, and feeling like they couldn't, um, especially like get the proper <laughs> institutions and authorities to deal with inappropriate behavior that was like very negatively impacting their lives. Um, but at the same time, I think the fact that it's like generalized the way that it has is unhealthy for men and for women. And I, I, I wonder what your thoughts on this are, but I wonder how much it has to do with the online dating prevalence there is now. It seems like there's like these little boxes on your phone where you can go to potentially flirt with people in a context where it's like expected and socially acceptable, maybe. And because it's been kind of confined to those little boxes on your phone, people have become very sensitized to being flirted in public when there's an actual physical presence that is like there doing the flirting with you. I wonder if that's heightened the the sense in which women have started to feel threatened by men who are coming up to them in public and flirting with them because I don't know that women always felt that way. I think I don't know. You see in TV women get flirted with at the bookstore and it's a cute rom-com moment. I wonder if now we're just not expecting it outside of the Tinder context. I'm not sure. There was, there was the, the other night, Celine and I watched dazed and confused. And there's a scene where a senior, or maybe he's a super senior. I'm not sure goes and badly and somewhat aggressively flirts with a female teacher on the last day of school. <laughs> and, and basically just comes on to her and says, Hey, I mean, not only am I legal now, but, you know school's out like you know i i seen how you've been looking at me we should we should hook up over the summer and <laughs> like this very aggressive thing right and she responds to it by just nodding and smiling and patting his head which is i mean the most aggressive dismissal you can imagine <laughs> you know like and just completely emasculating like you are a 
boy talking to me and I'm putting you in your place by patting your head. And, you know, like, I, I think that's, if you're the sort of person who can do that in that sort of a case, probably quite a lot more, I'm not only appropriate, but also effective in a sense than like, say, trying to destroy his life and dragging him to school administrators, which I think would be the, the response right now. Yeah, and, it's hard to say. It definitely communicates to me, like the head pat is not a response that communicates to me that she felt threatened by this person. Yeah, and, and exactly. And I, I, my thought is that the Me Too movement is supposed to be about women who have felt threatened, who didn't, you know, get any response from institutions that are supposed to protect them in these contexts, like demanding some sort of change to that, like, I don't know. I think of like stories I've heard of women who used to carry a paper box with them every time they went to the photocopier um, so they could hold it in front of their breasts because even if they were photocopying one thing, it was like this was the way that they felt like they had to protect themselves from the grabby guy in the office. And they had gone yeah. to HR about it and no one was doing anything. And that's something that really bothered them on a daily basis and made them feel afraid for their for their, you know, bodily autonomy and for their job and all of these things. And that's what I think the Me Too movement was supposed to be addressing. And I don't I, I I don't know why it got generalized to just like male advances in general have this like taintedness of immorality. Like I don't think it was ever supposed to go that far. Yeah. And I, I mean I guess this relates partly to the fact that men that there's sort of a I think there's a societal view of men as dangerous sexual agents and specifically adult men and I mean you know some of this comes out pretty clearly when you just look at interactions between men and kids and you know I would never what I what I go outside say on walks I go out of my way to avoid say walking through a playground like on the occasions when I come by playgrounds, because like a guy at a playground without a kid, like there, there's, sus. I think yeah. it's super sus. Right. And so I, I don't know, or like, you know, like if I'm wandering through a store, like you, it gets really uncomfortable for me to be say walking through a women's clothing section, you know, like it's, it's sort of a space where adult men are not expected to be, not quite like walking into a women's restroom, but something on that scale. And I, I sort of wonder if there's an extent to which that sense of sacredness of, of spaces that exclude adult men has become more intense over time. I'm not entirely sure about that. Maybe it's become more public, like, or it's extended out of say like private spaces for women into some more public spaces. So a lot of a lot of stuff is kind of like up in the air in this conversation, and I'm I'm trying to track it, and I'm probably going to just like randomly pick very selected portions. Yeah, no, go off, man. To. So there. So one thought that is currently running through my head is uh, about this sense of like there's like a kind of like men. It, the way it has, it has kind of always felt to me, and just increasingly so over the last few years, is this kind of like men are guilty until proven innocent thing. Yeah, like, I assume that women assume that there's something bad is going to happen to them by default. And that has not been a fun assumption to sit with. Um, but actually, I, th I feel like I got more sympathy for it recently. 
because I opened my DMs a bunch and a couple of times I explicitly requested people DM me. I was like, go ahead. I'm very bored. <laughs> Please DM me. And I got a lot of just bad DM requests from almost exclusively the bad ones are from men. I had like one slightly creepy DM request from a woman, but almost exclusively the bad ones are from men. And it, it's interesting because there's nothing sexual in that context. Like none of these guys yeah. were hitting on me, but they still managed to be so creepy. <laughs> and I wrote a little thread about that too. I was like, okay, there's this, like, what is it they're doing that it makes me feel uncomfortable? Because I feel uncomfortable now and there's nothing remotely sexual happening. It's just like, they're often presuming more intimacy than we have. Like there, there's like mm. some parasocial stuff sometimes. They're like, oh my God, bro, I fucking love you. Like we I don't know. I don't know you, man. Like, yeah, yeah. There's a like. There's there's this just like aggressive. Like sometimes they'll just kind of ask me a question in a way that feels really aggressive to me. I'm like, well, like I don't feel sold. I'm having, like, it doesn't feel to me like they understand that they kind of need to persuade me that the conversation is worth having. Like I could. I don't have to respond to you guy. Like you really got to try to sell this to me a little bit. Uh, and some of them don't seem to get that at all. They just like start a conversation immediately. I'm just like, I don't want to, I don't want to have this conversation with you, man. And uh, do, you, do you think flirting is like DMing somebody? I think the, the kind of initial volley can be like that, especially if you're doing it online, like in person, you have sort of more cues to work off of, but online yeah. you're just like sending people cold messages on on tinder or wherever i don't know i don't even know where people date anymore <laughs> i feel very out of the loop yeah i'm i'm really grateful that i've barely ever used internet dating i mean there there's a little bit of that back in 20 early 2019 i want to say um after after my first wife and i broke up but i mean i pretty quickly met celine and and that was fundamentally a non online dating thing. And yeah. before that, I think I had done some online dating in like 2008 briefly. And that's it. I've, I've otherwise been in somewhat monogamous relationships since then. So, but it sounds like hell. It does not sound fun. I do not. like. Yeah. You are really expected to sort of thread the needle. Like what you bring up about like, oh, men are coming into my DMs. And it's not in a sexual context, but it totally generalizes to yeah. women's Tinder messages and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I was that. like, I get it now. If these were the messages I got on Tinder all the time, I would fucking hate it. Like, right. They're just bad. They're just yeah. unskillful. <laughs> but at the so, same so, time, there's like being unskillful in the other direction. Like I can't tell you the hundreds of Tinder messages I've gotten from men that just say, hey. And it's like, okay, like that's, that has nothing to it. That's no, I don't know anything about you from that. There's no effort. There's no interest. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's no reason for, for me to respond to, Hey. And so there's like, you've got to, you've got to almost like have enough confidence to start a real conversation without crossing that line of like presuming intimacy or asking for something that's like too vulnerable or too valuable without having mm -hmm. built a rapport first. And so it, I, I feel for guys who are like, okay, I like don't have any Tinder ma matches ever. And I don't know if it's because I'm boring or because I'm creepy. Cause it's like, yeah, like I can, I can see how that's something that's really difficult to suss out when you're usually like getting the feedback of radio silence. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. I, it seems like, Tinder specifically is, again, having never used it, it seems like it's sort of explicitly a site 
where any interaction is going to be inherently like so i mean like not presumed to be chased you know or <laughs> or, or not not presumed to be platonic let's say and even even there there's some barrier that you have to overcome like am i understand that correctly yeah i mean well i think i don't know if this is true everywhere like there's different ratios in different regions you might be dating but in general women are bombarded with messages on online dating sites compared to men and so there is like even though everybody is presumed to be flirting with you the the men are having to put a little bit more effort to like stand out in a in a big crowd of men shouting Hey, you know? <laughs> maybe, maybe not though. Maybe not. Maybe shouting "Hey" actually, pr- like I could see it being a very effective strategy to just carpet bomb women with "Hey" and see, see who, who responds. responds. <laughs> right? Like if you, if you write a long message that's tailored to a specific girl, like that takes a long time. Maybe the response rate is going to be low anyway. But but then if you just everybody who is online at the same time who's possibly interested in just fucking right now, because why else would you be on Tinder? Like <laughs> just, just carpet bomb. Someone's going to respond. Just go for the loneliest. Just people. like, yeah, just, just <laughs> go for end selection. You know, I, I have no idea. I've never tried anything like this. And I, I was usually pretty picky about who I responded to because like going on a date with somebody that I didn't actually want to be on a date with was, has, has always been really excruciating. Yeah. So I've been on a single OkCupid date. It was very bad. I did not enjoy it at all. Yeah. I stopped using OkCupid. No. And I mean, all of us are like pretty weird people. So I, it, it just seems like going with the, the base rate of people who might be compatible with us, like is, is probably pretty low on websites like that. So it seems sort of inefficient in a way. Yeah. There's that. So what's coming up for me right now is this like big frustration with sort of, how hard it is to convey like bodily vibe over the internet. Like yeah. the way in which dating, pro- I, 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 maybe they've gotten better about this, but like when I was using OkCupid, OkCupid was like, here are some pictures and then here's a bunch of texts. And I'm like, well, that's not that great. You can't really get that good of a sense of somebody from pictures and texts. It's like, okay, it's better than nothing. Like pictures are much, much better than nothing. But I, I'm surprised that more dating sites don't try to go for like short clips of video. I feel like if you saw a short clip, even just a video of a person talking, but especially a video of a person like, you know, dancing a little or something, like you get more of a sense of like their deal. You're like, oh, is this a person who dances very fluidly? Is this a person who dances very awkwardly? How does the, I feel like I get a lot out of hearing people's voices and how how their face, how their faces change when they move, just all that stuff. It's like hard to convey that stuff in like a text. You can do it kind of over time but like video is instant you're just like oh that's your vibe over video like i have an impression of you now that's cool like yeah that's a physical vibe but can you get some of that from writing as well i mean like i think i get a the the best vibe that i get on people is how they comport themselves on twitter i mean okay in person is even better but there's a lot of information that comes to you in the way that you hold yourself on Twitter and yeah. and the way that you communicate. Yeah, I think so. But I'll say that I don't think I've ever been attracted to someone on the basis of tweets only. Like I think I really, I can't, I, it hasn't happened yet. I could, I, I have liked people a lot. I've been like, this person is very charming and I enjoy reading their tweets, but I haven't been like, 
like drooling <laughs> over anybody on the basis of, I have to see at the very least tweets and a cute selfie. The one cute selfie, it was already like a lot better than nothing. But uh, interesting. Yeah. Where, where, where do you fall on this? Maybe I've definitely like basically fallen in love with somebody's Twitter account without having ever seen anything physical Whoa. about them or heard anything about oh. them, but I might just be a hopeless romantic. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm a hopeless romantic too, but I just want to, I want to see, you know, how cute their smile is and stuff like that. Like nice and how, how they hold their bodies. Yeah. Women are maybe a little bit less visual in general and, and care a little bit more about, I don't know what's going on maybe intellectually or personality wise. It definitely helps to see what they look like. And I, I agree too, that voices like are something that really play into how I feel about somebody. I love hearing somebody on Twitter and then getting to read all of the tweets in their voice from then on. That's like a great feeling, but yeah. it, it, it means like, I agree with you that like for men, but especially for women, if, if dating sites were, were giving more of a high resolution picture of what people were like, women would find it easier to use. I know my sister, uh, in particular, just like does not care for the photos and text thing. And she found it really difficult to engage with mm. people on these online dating apps when she was single, because she was like, I like, I don't care what you look like. And I don't care <laughs> what you write in this little box. Like if I'm not meeting you in person, I just don't know how to get a picture of how I feel about you at all. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. I could imagine like being a certain kind of person who's like very kinesthetic and just like, yeah, text is just whatever it's text. Like this is, this ties into not, this is not directly like a sex gender flirting thing, but this ties into a thought I've had about like this corner of Twitter or whatever, like what are sort of some of the defining characteristics. And I think one of them is a certain kind of like hyper verbalness verbosity hyper verbosity maybe that's the word. yeah that's the conjugation there's a like because twitter is a very very verbal medium like the kind of the people who do well on it are people who are very good with words it's just like good at putting words together in a pleasing order and that is a cool thing and i do enjoy it and like i feel like i've also known people who weren't particularly verbal who i like just loved their vibes or just like man you're okay at talking but i just want to be around you all the time it's not about the yeah. words it's about all this other stuff that you do sometimes they we just should... have really nice voices sometimes it's like they're just really maybe charming. I'm, I'm actually really curious about that qc in when i put this up i'm going to leave a a link in the replies and just ask people to report their SAT quantitative. <laughs> no, for real. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm really curious about this. And uh, I mean, my suspicion is that probably you're completely right. And our verbal does outstrip our quantitative. It, I mean, like, you know, across the population and probably verbal scores are going to be super high. Yeah. I mean, it's, it feels, that feels like a pretty common thread here. Mm. And it's, um, I was, I was listening to your podcast uh, with visa and at some point he brought up one of you brought up this thing about like another maybe commonality involving just having read a lot as a kid or something like that yeah which definitely feels tied into it i'm like oh i i read a lot as a kid interesting i like <laughs> that makes sense as a thing yeah okay so so what book has most influenced you in the way that you understand sex whoa 
That is a very interesting question. Uh, the first thought that came to my head is the His Dark Materials trilogy. The, like, Golden, really? Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. Golden Compass, because the fucking... Have you, have you read it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, in the third book, when they finally kiss for the first time, it's just like fucking amazing. I loved that scene so much. I was like, this is literally perfect. They're just like... I don't know, simultaneously entering puberty in this symbolic way together. And then they're like kind of drunk on each other's kisses. And it's just like fucking amazing. I'm like, yeah, this is literally perfect. I literally just want this. And their Damon start hanging out. Like, yeah. Cause, cause, oh my God. I mean, like there, there was that big, that big taboo. Oh, I think I know what it was. There's that taboo about. Damon shouldn't touch t- each other. You're not supposed t- to touch yeah. another person. Or they're not supposed to touch or- someone else's Damon. You're not supposed to touch someone else's daemon, and they do. Yeah. And it's this expression of intimacy. <laughs> Interesting. Like, I think, like, I, I don't know that I would have sort of consciously named that as, like, a big influence, but I think that really, like, that image really stuck with me of this, like, oh, what if you could fucking hold each other's souls on an alien planet and just make out a lot? <laughs> that would it be so good. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, my God. And then they yeah. get all, then they have to like not be with each other at the end. And this is all spoiled. Oh, yeah. This is an old series. I'm just going to spoil it. And it's yeah, fucking heartbreaking. And I'm like, oh, oh, the deepest heartbreak ever. And that also felt, I also really like feeling heartbroken. Like, it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite feelings. It's how I know it's I'm alive. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that, that really like, I'm really generally. Certainly when I was growing up, but I think even now, I was really into just like big dramatic love stories of like, oh, these people were meant for each other and then they could or couldn't be together. And that's just, oh, oh. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 What what about you, maybe? Well, as a little girl, I definitely remember that my main like intro into the world of like sex and gender was more through anime than through uh, books. Like I remember watching... Sailor Moon and um, uh, like th- is that a good show for girls to watch? By the way, I mean I like, love my it. daughter appreciate it. Okay, yeah, I, I also actually it, when when I was well, yeah, my my favorite is Card Captor Sakura. She's in fourth grade and she's a magical girl and she's like searching for these like magic cards that have spells in them and then when she finds one she learns spell i have a tattoo of it i'm so obsessed but it's like <laughs> aimed at a little I, bit I remember card it's so good oh i love it um but yeah sailor moon is like very similar and more well known and i definitely remember like the the trope in the magical girl anime romances is you know she's fighting monsters and she uh you know wins but barely and her magic is depleted and she faints dramatically and then the masked guy with the rose between his teeth catches her so she doesn't hit the ground and it's like that that like mysterious protector masculine energy and so i think that was like what i went into puberty expecting out of romance um is, and- is this what women want <laughs> yeah. wearing my want to know the mask <laughs> yeah we want to be magical girls and we want to beat the monster by ourselves but when we swoon dramatically we want you to catch us silently and mysteriously that's what we're looking for yeah so exactly. i actually have a story about a time when i did something like this for my girlfriend if you guys oh my gosh nice hearing it so this was my high school girlfriend we were dating in my senior year of high school and i wanted to ask her to the prom 
And uh, she had told me about a dream that she had where she was, uh, she was looking out in the dream. She was like looking at the night sky and there was like a magician who was like making words appear through in the stars in the sky. And they like spelled out something for her to read in the sky. And she told me about this dream and I was like, I'm going to save this idea. And, uh, nice. That's so important, isn't it? Yeah. You like, save you're in a relationship idea. and like somebody says something and you just remember it for months and then yes. you like turn it into a thing. Yes. Perfect. I fucking love it. Pro tip, really everyone. Good. So I, I thought about that when I was trying to ask her to prom. I was like, oh, maybe I could do a thing where I like sneak into her bedroom and put up like glow into dark stars. But I did, gave up on that idea because her dad was very scary. And I did not <laughs> <laughs> like the idea of having to ask him for permission to do that. So what I did instead um, was I focused on the magician part. So we have this, uh, we had this tradition where we would call each other at night. And the last thing we would do before we hang up and hung up and went to sleep was that we would tell each other like bedtime stories. We just like make up stories for each other. It was extremely cute. It's exactly as cute as it sounds. It's really good. (laughs) And so one night I was like, okay, I'm going to sneak something into the bed, into the story. She was like, tell me a story. And I was like, okay, once upon a time, there was a boy and he loved a girl very much and he wanted to ask her to prom, but he didn't know how, but the girl had told him about a dream that she had involving a magician. So he was like, I'm going to use that. And then he decided to go to the costume store and get a magician costume. And then he went up to her window. And then I went up to her window in real life. <laughs> I had driven to her place wearing a magician costume and I knocked on her window. <laughs> plot points while I was, while I was still calling her. And she was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then she comes to the window and I'm there and my magician costume. I'm like, would you like to go to prom with me? With a, a little plus. mask and everything. This is probably one of the best things I've ever... I'm very proud of this one. I'm very happy. Nice work. She said yes, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. And then I wore a white tux <laughs> to prom, which I don't know if I did this consciously, but like tuxedo mask from Sailor Moon wears like a white suit. So like there was a little Does bit... He? I thought it was darker. I don't... Maybe I'm wrong. But like I feel like I was... Maybe I think you're thinking of Tom Wolf. Maybe. I do remember my, my, I had like female friends in middle school who were really into Sailor Moon. So I remembered that they liked Tuxedo Mask. And I also remembered that Tuxedo Mask, like me, is also a Leo. <laughs> that stuck with me. Just <laughs> but do you have the same blood type? I don't remember. I don't remember my blood type. I, I used to know my blood type at some point. Anyway, that's probably so, one of the best things of what best flirting I've ever done, probably. Yeah. Okay. So I'm actually. I'm actually thinking about this a lot and thinking about where people come from in terms of romance and their ideas about romance. Mm. And one thing that's definitely true that I believe and use as a model for understanding people is that I think people, probably people who read too much as kids in particular Mm. tend to form these, these little tulpas or, you know, these, these archetypes of how one behaves in romance Mm. or, you know, like, you know, from, and and these different roles in romance. So like, you know, being a guy in a romantic relationship or a girl and perhaps select fictional role models that they then use as templates for how they behave themselves. Mm. I mean, people do this awkwardly as teenagers when they're first trying to figure themselves out. And then I think they get better at it over time and more elegant in the way that they, they execute on these ideas. But 
I definitely remember watching people in, well, okay. Like in your, your example, maybe of sailor moon where, you know, like you really identified with, with her, uh, is, is it Celine in sailor moon? I can't remember the main character's name. I don't um, remember either. Actually. She's sailor yeah. moon. That's her name. Gosh. Say her name. <laughs> Shut up. I'm very clear about my name. Um, <laughs> But but then but then like you know and then then you identify tuxedo mask is like okay this is how men should behave toward me in this romantic relationship yeah. and <laughs> like you sort of template on that and then maybe maybe it gets complicated as you get older but like that's the baseline and one thing that I'm wondering is how how these archetypes have changed in presentation to kids over the last you know like ten or fifteen years and what people even see now and in particular I'm thinking like is stuff just really desexualized? Cause that, that's been a complaint that people have had a lot. And by people, I mean me, but, <laughs> but other people have written about this where it's, it's like, if you go back and watch older movies, even if people aren't fucking on screen, there's still just a lot of sexual tension all the time. And people are flirting constantly. Again, I'm going to offer up the last movie, which I saw, which is dazed and confused, but like people were just flirting with each other constantly and casually. And that's just like presented as a normal way of life. But there's, I, I don't know. I haven't seen that many modern movies lately, but thinking about stuff that I have seen, there's just none of that. Mm. You know, you can, you can even compare the way that sex existed in the Star Wars movies in the seventies and eighties. And, you know, j- just the like massive sexual tension between, you know, Han Solo and, and Leia and compare that. And, and even like Luke, like Luke really wanted to fuck, poor Luke. <laughs> but but like on on the other hand, you have stuff like, you know, if you if you look at the prequel trilogies from the nineties and aughts, like it, it was sad, you know. Even even when they tried to have some amount of romance in it, it was it was just it didn't come across as romance. It came across as like stick figures, and I I don't know. It, it seems like that's become more and more prevalent. And there was an essay that I read a while ago that was I don't know, looking at the Marvel movies in particular or whatever they are. And yeah, just I think like, I saw that. Absolutely none of that. Like hypothetically, people in these movies are interested in each other and in love, but like you get absolutely no eroticism on screen. Mm. And I mean, even something. I mean, I was complaining about uh, wet ass pussy too. <laughs> like I watched it and it's like, okay, they're really interested in talking about sex and showing skin, but like. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not seeing it. You know, like it, it felt really try hard without mm. actually having substance. There's a, like, this reminds me, this very last point reminds me of this annoyance I have with people who think that, um, what's that song called? Baby. It's cold outside is like, mm. is like harassment or whatever. Like that's never, oh, Celine's, been, Celine's got a rant about this. That's yeah. never been how I read the song for me. My interpretation of that song has always been, that baby it's cold outside is set in a social context where the woman cannot explicitly, I, I see you nodding, maybe I'm very grateful <laughs> Thank you. where the woman cannot be very explicit verbally about like how much she's into it. So she has to verbally kind of, it's like a game where she like verbally kind of pretends to not be into it. But like, if you saw two singers who played it that way, sing it and you saw their facial expressions, they would be doing a lot of nonverbal flirting in my head, the way they do it. Mm-hmm. And it would be clear that it's a game that they're both enjoying tremendously. 
Like, oh, that's yeah. always how I I totally it. imagine her, you know, putting her hand over her mouth and like giggling <laughs> and batting her eyelashes. Like, that's the yeah, way yeah, I've yeah. always read it as like a really, a truly romantic song. And I, maybe that is part of what's going on in like this, I don't know, this world where we've, we've sort of nominally said that women have this new sexual freedom where they don't have to, you know, say, oh, I really can't stay, you know, like, mm. and at the same time, what's like filled that gap is just this kind of like blatant, you know, sexuality that doesn't have a lot of eroticism. I see Visa sometimes talk about this with like K-pop dancers and stuff like that. It's like, yeah. like t- technically what they're doing is sexy dancing, but there's just no, not as much flavor to it as you would yeah. expect. It's and, and same with the, the what ass pussy song is like the, the people who are singing it admit that they're like, Oh yeah, we don't have that much sex. We're in like monogamous relationships and we're moms. And we're like, this is just something that we're selling to people, but we don't really have the eroticism that we're backing it up with. And it does feel like something where, um, like everybody is collectively confused about how things work now. Like Mm. as much as there were things like, that needed to be unearthed like by the me too movement and such um about like i don't know the way that sometimes men were taking advantage of women in in ways that that weren't acceptable like they you know i mean you you go back to like greek myth and see that there's like rape everywhere and they don't even have a word for rape then like that's just sex in in ancient greece so like so like consent discourse has been evolving and and in a lot of ways that's good but it's kind of gotten to a gray area where we don't know what the the norms are for courtship they used to be really clear and really codified and if you broke them that's bad um and it's good that maybe we've actually gotten to a point where we're willing to talk about what's wrong with it when you do break the courtship norms that should be really, really clear. But the courtship norms that regular healthy people who just want to have healthy relationships are supposed to abide by are really squishy now in like, I don't know, are we in third wave feminism, fourth wave? I don't, I don't know which wave we're in anymore, but it just seems like nobody's really sure how things are supposed to work and we still i think have a bunch of cultural programming that's like three generations old like as much as um i can listen to what ass pussy and get this message that i'm supposed to like (laughs) want him to park his big mac truck right in this little garage um (laughs) i like actually was brought up by my parents to think that men in general are like insatiable sex monsters and it's disgusting and I need to protect myself from them. And implicitly in that message was like that I'm not the sex monster. I'm somebody who's <laughs> not going to want sex. And it's going to be yeah, exactly. And, and so growing up, I'm like, okay, who's the sex monster? Who's the pure one? Who's supposed to say yes? Who's supposed to say no? Are we both supposed to want this? Or is it supposed to be some sort of a battle? All of it seems super up in the air to me culturally. Mm. I Okay. Um, I have many thoughts first about of all that. It was very rich. Okay. Looks like the I can first thing, The first thing, uh, I need to drop an info hazard. Everybody <laughs> should just Google Skoptsy. S-K-O-P-T-S-Y. The second thing that I have to say 
is I okay. I'll wait for your reactions. For practicing castration of men and the mastectomy of women in accordance with their teachings against sexual lust. Oh no! Yeah, oh, Russia dear. man. I um, went in the opposite direction. <laughs> then, then Scopsy. Okay, I'm just saying. You know, it's one way to deal with sex. She monsters. gave herself a penis and bigger. T- <laughs> I, okay, not that part. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if vibrators count, then yes. Oh, Wait, what man, if I had I, more sex organs? <laughs> <laughs> more sex. I, I grabbed it. Swear that motherfucker had like thirty goddamn dicks. Um. <laughs> so okay, okay. I have a rant. It's gonna like tie everything together. Yeah. First awesome. thing. First thing. First thing. Fucking cargo cult eroticism. Mm. Right. It's like. It's like shit like wet ass pussies. Like, here are the forms that eroticism is supposed to take. Mm-hmm. I'm going to carry these out, but it's missing something essential, mm-hmm. right? Like it's missing the true the true spirit of being a sex monster, like Prince. <laughs> For example, Prince, absolute sex monster, right? <laughs> you hear him just like overflowing with with horn in every one of his fucking songs. <laughs> and it was genuine and it was beautiful, and he was really good at it, and and he was the greatest musician of the later 20th century. Um, but like, I think a lot of that is, is just like missing now and I don't Mm. quite understand what it is, but you know, there is, there's that long thread that Jacob Velkovich had about sex positivity and how he was pro sex positivity. And then he like went and was like, but actually most people are not super sex positive. And he went through and he listed a large number of, of different cultural touch points that are allegedly sex positive, but actually like maybe not actually that sex positive. And which he went through in detail and I read most of his thread, but my, my actual response is like, I think being sex positive or sex negative is misguided Mm -hmm. and sex is just sex. And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's terrible and it can cause like massive amounts of damage. And it's like being like, you know, it's like being like nature positive, you know? (laughs) Like, yeah, nature can be great. I love taking hikes. Do I? I, I mean, I'm okay with taking hikes. But also, like, it's going to kill your ass. It really will. It'll tear you to shreds. It, it's And, like, being positive or negative about it is sort of missing the point. Like, it's this giant complicated thing. And it's difficult to control. And, like, maybe think it over really carefully. And, and just be cognizant that it can be wonderful. And also, like, it, it, it can tear you to pieces. And, like, just going and trying to make it legible in these different ways, which I think is the problem. Like, approaching it as something that can be, like, just written out and, uh, like, stretched into some simple ideological framework. I actually, I think that's deeply disrespectful to something as complex and powerful and central to human experience as sex is like fitting into some fucking ideological box. I hate it. (laughs) And yeah. So like if the aspect of sex that you're going to interact with is whatever shit fits into your like rinky dink framework about, you know, gender, which itself I think is similar, right? Like are men bad or women bad? I don't know. Like, how do you feel about the entire fucking universe? Good or bad? (laughs) Right? Like this is the kind of depth that we're like, this, this is the like feature space that we're trying to compress here. And, and so like, I think what you get is people who aren't actually even trying to reckon with this like vast ineffable thing. And they're just trying to like identify some slice of it that, that complies with their, you know, ideological trash can and, and make that like what sex is about. Anyway, that's my rant. I and like it. I wish people would stop. I think this phrase cargo cult sexuality that you used is very good. I could write a whole fucking, I could have a whole rant of my own about it. I think 
do it. <laughs> and maybe, 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 no pressure. So, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll rant a little bit kind of form from my own experience. Like, um, so tying back to the thing that we were saying about like role models growing up, I think going even further back, probably my first role models were Disney movies. If I had to guess, cause I watched those all the time when I was like six. So that's like yeah. a very formative age right there. And it's funny. There are several funny things about it, but there is all, one of the many things is that the Disney movies are like kind of sexless also. Like they're not pulsing with eroticism. Exactly. They're very, I don't think that's true. I really, go on. Oh, like, I, I guess I read them as like kind of very sweet in a certain way, but not very like hungry or something, but that's just, that's yeah. just, I'm thinking about like beauty and the beast or something. And it's, well, Beauty and the Beast is a funny example because the beast is very like monstrous, but at the end he's tamed in a way. You know, his monstrosity right. is transformed, he becomes a human again. And like I think the main thing I got out of Beauty and the Beast was not that I should try to be like the beast. It was that I should not try to be like Gaston. That was absolutely I was like, Gaston is the bad guy in this movie. He's big and he has muscles in a different way than the beast has muscles. The beast's muscles are not his fault, you know? <laughs> he has muscles yeah. because of his curse. <laughs> But Gaston got his muscles on purpose, which is apparently bad. <laughs> and like, <laughs> no, but I really think I, I I I learned this growing up, and it was, and I think it was it was, I it was like enhanced to that message by like teen comedies and stuff that were like, oh, there's a fucking jock, and he's like the bad guy, and the good guy is this like kind, sweet, sensitive nerd. I'm like, that's it, that's me, that's my job is to be that guy. Yep, yep. And to not be the jock, uh, which had a lot of weird downstream effects. Like, I think I. I like decided that it was bad to care too much about my appearance. I decided that it was bad to care too much about like getting strong. Like it would never have occurred to me that meant that women would want me to get physically stronger. I'd be like, what? But then I would be a jock. Wouldn't that, isn't that bad? Aren't you, don't you not? Yeah. Want that? Oh man, that's terrible. And <laughs> oh shit is it, that, that feels kind of Scott Aronson esque. Yeah. you know, like he had that essay about, I, I don't know. I think was it Scott Aronson? I don't want to, be attributing this to the wrong person but like he he took in feminism so completely and was so terrified of like maybe being threatening or causing harm yeah, to women yeah, consider, yeah. considered castration yeah, yeah. and hard. like buddy <laughs> like that's too much scrupulosity and like i like i feel that though i'm like i that i feel very clearly the way in which i could have gone in that direction if i had been like more depressed or like less successful socially growing up or something yeah like, i could easily have like yes that's totally a, a version of me that could exist somewhere like i feel a lot of sympathy for that and i also you know i was very like impacted i think by the reaction to that whole thing you know like other scott wrote a whole post about it and he was like ah oh, scott aronson opened up about this whole thing and then all these feminists decided to call him a bunch of names and i was like that's really terrible i hope that never happens to me you know? yeah <laughs> so obviously i should shut up about this apparently it's not safe for me to talk about ways in which i have felt like i've like crushed myself into little bits in the name of feminism but that's like definitely an experience that i've had and it's yeah. gotten better it's definitely gotten better but like so I got a little off track there. This was supposed to be about eroticism. Let me see if I can turn it. Yeah. But before you go back to that, like yeah. what caused you to get better? Uh, do you know, just, do you a have a long, theory? just a long sequence of things. Like I did a bunch of workshops. I did some, I started working with a sex coach. who was very helpful. I like went to some workshops where I got to cry a lot about my feelings and like 
get inspired from other dudes who were like way better than I was at flirting and stuff. It's like, oh, this is what like, like I met men who I like deeply like admired and respected. And was like, oh my God, I want to have your masculine energy. Like I, had, I hadn't really been exposed to like strong masculine energy that felt good before. And I was like, wow. And I met some dudes like that. I was like, this is fucking amazing. Holy shit. I didn't know this was possible. It was like, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to mark this down as like salvation due to male friendship. That's that, that was part of it. Yeah. That's definitely like, there were several really good dudes who like kind of took me under their wing and like, they were like, I like you. You're good. We're going to come here. We'll like maybe teach you a couple things. Very great. Yeah. Those dudes. And a lot of women also, a lot of just really wonderful women who like opened up my world. And it's a, it's a really long story. I could tell it, but it would take a while. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if exposure to women at the right age is actually really important for men. I had, there was a, there were some friends that I had that they were, I was really into one of them, but I just like kind of friends with the other two, but we were, we hung out a fair amount in my, I don't know, junior, senior year of high school. And they were really open about talking about sex around me. And I think that was good mm. in just being exposed. Like, this is what women talk about. This is how women talk about sex and what they think of it and what they make of it. And it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. And it wasn't like I was sitting there and taking notes, but I think I was absorbing some of the vibe from it. Mm. And, and I think just like seeing that was super useful. And I'm not sure that most men actually have an experience like that. I, w- I was weird in high school. <laughs> So yeah, it's interesting I, that you. I, oh, sorry. Oh, no, go for it. I, I, I was just going to say that I feel like it's important for women to be around men in sort of a similar way. I remember like a pivotal moment in high school when a guy friend complained to me that he's like, oh, guys are always the ones who care in relationships, and women are just aloof and unattainable, <gasps> and it's not fair. And I literally was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Women are the only one who care and men are totally aloof and unattainable and inaccessible. And I was, it just blew my mind <laughs> that like men could be frustrated with dating in the exact same way that I was frustrated with dating. I had never mm. considered that we might actually face a lot of the same problems in the dating world. And I think that that, that was something that was really helpful for me because I think my parents and crappy 90s television and stuff they did make it seem like men are just either not trying to date because they're nerds and they're busy playing pokemon or <laughs> they have no problem you rock <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> or they have no problems because they're the quarterback of the football team and you should stay away from them because they will ruin your purity or something like that um and so to like be around men and have them talk about their personal lives in a way that was just like unfiltered by cultural nonsense was really helpful mm. to me too. That's cool. Like I'm reflecting on my own experiences had like talking to women growing up. Like I, I would, I guess I would divide them into three phases. So they were somewhat distinct. There was like a kind of middle school, high school phase where I had a lot of female friends and we talked a lot about crushes. Like I got a lot of inside info on, how girls felt when they had crushes on other dudes. We did not talk about sex at all. None of us were, I don't think any of us were fucking. We were very pure, <laughs> nerdy dude, nerdy girls and boys. Um, so we never talked about sex, but we talked a lot about crushes. So I learned some stuff about like, I know I just like learned a lot about what girls talk about when they talk about their crushes, just a lot about their feelings and stuff. And I was like, 
mostly what I learned from that was that I should be a good listener. That was really the number one lesson. And I did. I learned pretty well how to be a good listener. And they were like, you're such a good listener. I was like, thank you. I tried on purpose to do that because I was told that it was good. (laughs) And the second phase was in college where I also had a lot of female friends. And I feel like we also never talked about sex, but I feel like I picked up a lot of kind of ambient feminism from that experience. There was like a big kind of feminist wave uh, at my college at the time for whatever reason reasons lost to time and I just kind of like picked up a lot of that ambiently and like kind of um, like I already had these values around pre- like treating women well which I acquired from Disney movies and so forth and that kind of reinforced them I was like ah yes it's just as I was told I'm supposed to be good to women I'm going to do that I'm going to be nice I'm going to be kind I'm going to be sensitive all those things it's great and I did do those things and women were very comfortable around me and that was very nice and I did not turn any of them off <laughs> mostly with like rare exceptions. I don't think, I just like don't think I was particularly sexy and I didn't really know what to do about that. And it didn't occur to me that that was like a problem that I could complain about or try to change. Like I kind of just accepted my fate or something. Doubt it. Um, and then the, what I might describe as the third wave is in somewhere around 2018, I made friends with several escorts and that was a very, very interesting experience because they talked very frankly about sex because they were escorts and it was their job. And I learned a lot about how they relate to their clients and how they relate to their lovers who aren't their clients. And that was like totally different. That was like kind of uh, like a red pill experience for me. Kind of, I was like, whoa, like women are into some fucked up shit. Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's so strange. <laughs> Like they talked, some of them were willing to talk very frankly about like, oh, I'm like super into it when guys are rich. I'm like super into it when guys kind of like low key don't give a shit about me. I'm like, whoa, what? <laughs> this is new. This is the opposite of what I was told earlier. What's going on with that? And I, I still don't feel like I've like fully reconciled those two sets of cultural messages or something. Like on the one hand, the stuff I was told growing up about like, oh, girls like it when you're nice to them. And on the other hand, this other stuff that's like, sometimes girls really like it when you're not nice to them. I'm like, what are you talking about? What is this? Like, and I think I have kind of intellectually a handle on it, but like emotionally, there's still a bunch of kind of different bits and pieces that have not quite been put together. Yeah, yeah, I can relate to that. Like, I feel like women women get weirded out by these two sets of messages too. Like, I remember the big wave of feminism in college for me came right after an abusive relationship. And as much as like I'm defensive of the parts of feminism that like legitimately address why abuse is bad and why it was like good for me to like actually attend to the feelings and the trauma that I had like kind of walked away from that relationship with. I I felt like they really catastrophized my experience in a way that hampered my ability to relate to men that I wanted to have healthy relationships in the future. Um, and they do really tell you like, you know, the, the proverbial, they tell you that you're supposed to want, these like respectful like sexually centrist <laughs> kinds of guys sexually centrist. Yes. <laughs> and when you don't want that um you don't know what other women are going to think about you in this culture when you have a relationship with a guy and you're like so in love with him and he doesn't care about you you like 
can't talk to your female friends about that because they will think you're stupid or anti-feminist or who knows. And it's like very alienating on our side of this experience too. And, and we don't really have language because of the same cultural pressures to say that like being good to women does not exclude having sexual confidence (laughs) and wanting to turn us on and like, caring about making us feel good and like opening us up to like share our dirty sides with you like we don't know how to communicate that in a way that doesn't take back the very important messages of feminism like that you know rape matters and should be taken seriously or whatever like it's bizarre that it's difficult to draw that line in this culture but it is Oh, I'm so mad about this. I mean, the okay, first of all, like that second thing that you're describing, I, I would call that sexual autism. <laughs> autism with, <laughs> I, I, like and and I I mean spell it with an O U G H T or or you know A U T, whatever. I mean like either way, yeah. This this is how sex ought to be. And it's like, no man, it just fucking is. And like maybe consider that rather than again, trying to stretch it over this like stupid theory that you have that's wrong. (laughs) And like the, the sex that can be fit into an ideological framework is not the eternal sex, you know? And I mean, like, secondly, I don't know, like you're talking about, you know, your experience after an abusive relationship and, and you know, the, the, maybe the way that, feminists interacted with you vis-a-vis that I I had a similar experience. I mean, I was in a relationship that was pretty physically abusive and it, I I mean, like without getting into too much detail, like I was basically fine. I mean, not, not exactly, but like, you know, the, the emotional side of that relationship was fairly rough and did take me a while to work through, but, but not in all of these like standard cookie cutter ways. Right. Like I had never felt physically at risk from this person. You know, they, they'd pulled a knife on me at one point. I mean, like, you know, they, they had like bum rushed me a few times. Like there, there was a time when they started like punching me in the face. Oh shit! And also, you know, I was, I'm, I'm five ten, and I was like 170 pounds at this point. And they were like, five foot one and a hundred pounds. And I didn't, I didn't feel physically threatened. I thought it was stupid. (laughs) I thought it was really stupid that they were trying to physically intimidate me. And I mean, you know, eventually somebody is going to be able to find a way to hurt you if, if they want to, but I I didn't feel physically cowed at all. It's like, what, why are you doing this? This is, this is incredibly dumb. Stop it. You know? (laughs) And, and, and like, I, was dating somebody else after that relationship and you know they were convinced that like I must be going through all of this trauma and having all of these like challenges in my life it's like I'm not I wish you would stop trying to like push this narrative where I'm an ongoing victim mm. I mean you know I, I definitely was victimized in that relationship in a sense but it's not part of my identity now you know I'm not like looking up behind bushes for like somebody to come out and you know punch me with their tiny fists it's it's fine and i i really resented that and mm. i mean i guess just just going back to this just like one more thing where people are really trying to force other like people are trying to force other people to have their trips which are not even trips they're having you know 
I don't believe that people who are pushing a lot of these ideological frameworks are actually experiencing these trips. They're just kind of identifying them as being sort of coherent to their own worldview. And like, no, it's it's more complicated than that, even in your own life. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like there were things that happened in my abusive relationship that were legitimately scary or painful or hellish or whatever. But the way that it got catastrophized by this feminist narrative, like lumped so many other things, other behaviors that wouldn't have normally bothered me in as if they were comparable to those really scary, painful, hellish things. And I actually found that like, what helped me de-radicalize me the most was some really good like pickup artist stuff that I found on YouTube. And <laughs> tell me about that. Yeah. Like hearing men talk to other men about how to be successful with women, like really challenged what I had been fed by feminism about what women want. And when I would like, you know, like gut check it with myself. I would be like, oh my God, no, the pickup artists are right and the feminists are wrong. This is what I want. And 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 I've been so afraid when when I'm getting the things that I want from men because I've been told that those things are like connected somehow to these like outrageously more violent and unacceptable experiences that I've had, as if like if if he's got sexual confidence or he's turning me on or he um, I don't know, like, is, you know, willing to take control in bed sometimes, or who knows what, then he's likely to do these other things that actually did hurt me. And unbundling these things after having them kind of bundled for me together, as if they belonged in the same group of behaviors was really useful for me. And it really impacted my work with like, only fans and stuff like that was trying to tell guys like, these things have been bundled together and I know what that's like. And I think they should be unbundled. And I think you should be allowed to unbundle for them for yourselves too. Like just because you come on to a girl does not mean you want to hurt anybody. Like gut check this with yourself. Do you want to hurt somebody or do you think somebody is cute? And do you mean this in a totally healthy pro-social way? Like if that's how you feel, then don't internalize this message that, what what you naturally feel and want to offer a woman in a sexual context is a bad thing. Yeah. I yeah. have, this brings up a lot of stuff for me. Like there's like several, go for it. Things. I'm also going to be right back. There's so like several different it. things I could toss in here. The first thing that comes to mind was, so I mentioned I had done some like okay. workshops and stuff. And that was part of how I, I got better at this. One of them uh, was called the authentic man workshop. Authentic Man Program, AMP for short, was really good. And a big part of what made it really good was they had this structure where the first two days were all guys, all the participants were male. And for the first two days, all the staff were male. And they do like various kinds of like in, like vulnerability exercises with the other guys. And then on day three, they bring in this special group of female staff, which is like the friends of the male staff. They're wonderful. They're wonderful women. And uh, then we do exercises with the women on the third day. Uh, one of the exercises was, uh, it, I wouldn't exactly call it a flirting exercise, but it was like a presence exercise. It was like, um, we would, three of the women would be dressed up really nice and just sit seated. And then the men would take turns going up to the women and then just standing there and like kind of vibing. And then the women would just tell them how they feel about his vibe. And it's 
fucking terrifying. So scared. <laughs> I, I thought I would be fine. Yeah, I was like, whatever. I'm a cool guy. This will be great. And then I walked up the first time, and my lips started trembling uncontrollably. I was like, holy shit. I guess I must be fucking terrified because I cannot control what my body is doing right now. And uh, a bunch of stuff happened in the exercise. But one thing that's relevant to this conversation is that at some point, I was prompted during this exercise. I was like, okay, you keep wanting to talk to this girl. It seems like you're kind of into her. I'm like, yeah, I am kind of into her. And they were like, tell her, tell her something you like about her. And I was like, oh, that's so scary. I don't want to do that. Ah. Wait, really? But then I did. No, that's the, that's the best thing you could possibly do. Well, I learned, this is how I learned that, right? So I, I just, I, I, I looked at her and I was like, I really like her collarbones. And she flushed and she's like, kind of like went like this Perfect. and she was just like, Oh, I've never had someone compliment me on my collarbones before. And I was just like, Holy Perfect. shit. That was amazing. I didn't know that I could like, I didn't know that I could like have a positive impact on a woman I had just met by telling her something I liked about her body. That was like a totally new experience. I was like, that didn't, that didn't creep me out. She's like, no, I loved it. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? This changes everything. <laughs> yeah, like that was. Yeah, no, it's great. And like clothes are safer, I think. Mm, for sure. And collarbones, like clothes and obscure body parts obscure are not. Obscure body parts, yeah. Eyes. They're not, yeah. No, right. seriously. Like, yeah. you know, because if you just go up and say, oh, you have lovely eyes, I mean, that's trite, you know? Everyone's like, and, yeah. <laughs> and like, if you say, oh, you've got nice tits, I mean, like, that's that's crass. But if you if you be like, I really like the curve of your shoulder. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and like, if that's something that you actually like, if you can like pick out something about somebody that they don't know they should appreciate and help them appreciate it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Slam dunk. It's great. Yeah. I, that was an extremely unforgettable experience, but I was like, Whoa, holy shit. That's crazy. That it's interesting too, though. Like I agree with what you're saying about like a first interaction or the first time you've complimented somebody. But I think something that sometimes gets, lost in like i don't know the feminism discourse around respect and consent is that you have to be like absolutely sure that you're in like sex is imminently going to happen to like appreciate the you know less obscure body parts i know that like <laughs> one thing that i think women don't say often enough is that like, and I, I, I don't speak for all women, but I, and I think many other women expect you to like my tits. And if, <laughs> if you never say anything about how hot my tits are, like, I will be annoyed. Like, I'm, this is part, honestly, of why I'm called Florian, because in, in the name of the wind, or well, in that series, he sleeps with this magical like fairy lady who's supposed to be the epitome of what is desirable in a woman's a woman's figure and he you know escapes her clutches by writing a song where he says that she'll do you know like i guess <laughs> yeah, she's okay she looks fine and she was like get out get out of the face you're out of here i uh, like i don't need you around because we we want you to think our <laughs> sexual areas are the the best thing you've ever seen in your life and if you feel like it's like too disrespectful to go there we will take that as a slight <laughs> has, has has anyone ever used the word calipigian to describe you no what does that mean 
It's great. It's uh, I was just thinking about like how to compliment body parts. Um, so Palapidgeon <laughs> means just like of the beautiful ass. So so they they're they're like there's there are statues that are like Aphrodite Calipidios, and and they're just like Aphrodite. She's got a nice ass. So that's, that's actually a pretty, way to, pretty good way to go about it. Like just like oh yeah, you remind me of this statue that has a nice ass. Yeah. Famous for the nice ass. Yeah, it's beautiful. Another thing that helped me here was like honestly browsing stuff like Art Gone Wild and just seeing all these women be like, "Here is a picture of my naked body. I want you to tell me that you like it." I'm like, "Whoa! You want me to tell you that you like it? That's fucking crazy! Like, what's up with that?" Like somehow I had casually imbibed a bunch of I guess you would call it sex negativity growing up. Just like I'm not supposed to sexualize women. That's bad. They get that too much of that already. So I guess I'm supposed to desexualize them. Is that? what it is and it's right, not which is so weird because is. we're warned about how much you're going to sexualize us so if you don't we're like well <laughs> what's wrong <laughs> <laughs> it's trying to be respectful <laughs> just trying to be respectful girl. you never call me beautiful anymore well i don't want to sexualize you <laughs> <laughs> no no i mean like being treated as a sex object in a certain sense is great yeah and like what you you don't think I'm a sex object? What the hell is wrong with you? No. So wait, um, so so maybe what do you think of complimenting men? Like, is this something that you ever think about or ever try to do? Yeah, I try to do it as often as I can, and I tend to be like lewd about it. One of my favorite things is I don't know how. For example, yeah, but I'm like somebody who if you like get in my dms and you ask me to rate your dick i will and i'll love it like i i've done this on multiple occasions and men find it really delightful because i like have never met a dick i couldn't find a good thing to say about i mean they're lovely creatures and they just want to please me they're like happy little puppy dogs and like it's the easiest thing in the world to compliment men and their you know, extremely like sexualized regions. I had never shut up about how much I love my partner's ass. Like that's just if, my favorite. If thing penises aren't evil, why were they invented by H.R. Geiger? <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of those those like memes about like oh a guy and the compliment he received five years ago, like holding on to them. Yep. Like this is a core memory of this like this relates to the thing that you were saying earlier about like maybe girls kind of casually flirt with each other a lot and like guys mm-hmm. are maybe like more starved for that kind of validation. I don't think, Whoa, nice dick, bro. Really nice dick. <laughs> I don't think I've, no I, homo. I, I could probably count on one hand the number of compliments I've received about my body. Like maybe I can't think of any right now. I think there have been one or two or something. Like I remember a woman told me once that she liked the way I moved. That was great. It wasn't directly. Oh, that's good. Out. That was really nice. I really enjoyed that. I think I've had a couple compliments about my back, <laughs> which is okay. Nice. Okay. But like, no one's just been like, I love you. I mean, I, very few people have seen my penis. So that's like another <laughs> complication. <laughs> uh, but I definitely, I definitely feel under sexualized. I would very much appreciate being sexualized more. That would be wonderful. Anyone reading this wants to sexualize me a little bit, like go right. There. <laughs> <laughs> That would feel really nice to me. I'd be like, oh, I turn you on a little bit. So great. <laughs> that would yeah. just be really crazy. Just and saying. I think there's lots of women who feel the same way. And I think 
women would like to be complimented in more explicit ways too. Like I think as much as I, I mean, my example was that we expect you to think our tits are nice. Like I've received very few compliments on my pussy. And I mean, my pussy's beautiful, like bonkers, <laughs> crazy gorgeous. But it's like one of those things where I just imagine that there's some sort of line in the sand that men are drawing where they're like, to explicitly objectify that part of your body would be like, you know, sacrilegious or something like that. And I'm like, oh, it wouldn't be, trust me. Like, I actually <laughs> don't have that. I actually think I... I don't, I don't even have that impression. Like, I think I do actually believe that if a woman shows me her pussy, I should compliment it. Like if I end up in that situation, I'm like, (laughs) she probably doesn't get a lot of compliments about her pussy. I just be like, you have a really cute pussy. I just want you to know that. (laughs) I'm so mad. I'm so mad about this because everyone's like, like the same fucking people who talk about sex positivity are the same ones who describe a lot of things like this as like objectification and like attach negative valence to that. You know, it's like sex is great, but also complimenting someone's wang is like objectifying (laughs) them. And it's like, Hmm, but of course it can be, you know, like you can definitely use these things to, to actually like strike people down if, in in the right setting and it's really hard to describe where that line is which is why like i think sex positivity is stupid because yeah sometimes you can like you know say crassly compliment somebody as as a means of like controlling them or being an asshole so uh, there's a lot of like we could get into a whole thing and i don't know how much time we have for this about like context and nuance and i feel like yeah we were about to get into a thing earlier which was maybe slightly derailed about like like wap on the one hand and like sort of the sexlessness of modern movies on the other as, as kind of pointing to like a, a like loss of nuance and contextuality or something like, wait, maybe, is it pronounced? Wop, is it wap? pronounced? I don't know. I think, I think wop is a slur. I don't a know. Slur? Okay. Oh, Excuse geez. me. My <laughs> I did not know that. My, my apology is going out to all the macaroni rascals in the audience. <laughs> but there's, there's like a, I wonder if there's a meaningful way in which people have gotten worse at reading each other. Like, I wonder about this. It certainly seems like online, this goes back to a previous point again, it's like, it's hard to read people over the internet. It's hard to read people over text. And like compared to in person where you can like read body language and stuff, like I wonder if people have just gotten out of practice reading each other. That would be... Can you... When when did you learn how to tell whether somebody was interested in you? I am not sure... I know. <laughs> Wait, seriously? Okay, I was, like, I was, I was curious about this. I think I just have had so little, you know, labeled training data <laughs> on this subject. It's no, like well, hard I, to tell. I think I don't know. There, there was a point. I mean, like in high school, I couldn't tell, and and like everyone else, I, I can, or at least like a lot of people, definitely like my wife, I can go back. And remember things that happened in high school and think, oh my God, this person wanted in my pants and I had no idea. I had no idea at all. And then something happened. Something happened to me over the first couple of years of college and I don't know what it was and I don't know how to describe it, but suddenly my power level increased dramatically. And I went back and like dredged up all my memories of high school and was like, wait, these women were all interested in me. And then I went and asked a bunch of them out and it completely worked. And I was completely right about it. They were definitely into me that entire time. And like something happened where I just became more able to tell when people were into me. And yeah, like, and it's great if you can just like intuit it, right? Like, Oh, this person is clearly into me. This is a good place to flirt. 
and um like then then that's all very easy because like you can just <laughs> what's your problem dude just like <laughs> know whether somebody is interested in being flirted with come on it you would know, just be telepathic it would idiot. be nice if it was like that i think i wonder sometimes the discourse makes me wonder if a lot of women like vastly underestimate just how autistic a lot of dudes are honestly like I think, yeah. I think they're imagining that these dudes can tell what's happening and that they are choosing to be creepy on purpose. Mm. And I don't think it's, I think a lot of the time it's because the, I think a lot of the time creepiness comes out. I mean, I think we could get into a whole thing about creepiness, but I think a lot of the time it's partly based on just not being able to read the situation at all, even in like a very basic way. Just like, I can't tell if this girl's into me. I can't tell if this girl liked the last thing I just did because I'm like not even paying attention enough to tell. Like, I think that's just happening a lot. I think I used to do that a lot. I feel like I'm a little better, but I had to do weird stuff. (laughs) Yeah, and I bet it doesn't help that it seems like we've just raised the stakes. Like, even if people weren't better at reading other people before, even if they struggled just as much to read when people were and weren't into things, at least there weren't these, like, astronomically high cancel culture stakes around guessing wrong. Like, now it's like, I don't know. Consent discourse is like it. She has to be shouting from the rooftops <laughs> that she wants to ride you, or else you need to stay six meters away. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think that helps for the men who like already like the the men who need to hear this are not going to care, and the men yeah. who didn't need to hear this are going to be crippled by this information. <laughs> that is very much how I feel about it also there's like a whole like okay there's like kind of man who already doesn't give a shit what women think about him yeah exactly and continue not giving a shit there's this other kind of man who is like crippled with anxiety on this topic and this is going to make it worse and like I've experienced that I've been like just the whole like pretty much since the Harvey Weinstein story dropped I have just been like following all these me too stories kind of like I don't, like, that can't be good for you. It's not good for me, but I can't stop. Stop I, like, paying keep, attention to this shit. <laughs> I keep reading them because it's so, like, I just can't look away. Like, the latest wave of these with the fucking, the ones that are most interesting to me, actually, are the ones about, like, Twitch celebrities and, like, gamers and stuff. Because some of them are just so fucking awkward. Like, it's so obvious that it's just oh. like, okay, this guy just didn't really get a chance to, like, acclimate and... Or, like, really learn how to, like, not be super awkward and was, like, because he was really good at Super Smash Brothers or whatever, like, got vaulted up into sort of, like, more, like, I might say, like, more status than he was really ready for. And mm-hmm. then, like, suddenly he's at these, there are, the, there, are, there are all these, like, kind of new social environments built out of awkward dorks around this gaming environment, which is so interesting to me. I say this with all the love of my heart as an awkward dork myself. <laughs> you just put all these awkward doors together like oh we're gonna make like super smash brothers conventions and shit and people are gonna gather and they're gonna have they're gonna want a bone and and they're not gonna be very good at it because they're awkward dorks and that is a that is a that is like a very and some of them are very powerful and influential you know there's like all these weird status differentials and there's it's like just huge, so much awkwardness and so much like kind of lack of practice or something and are you, are you coming out against mixed clout relationships <laughs> 10k followers 1k followers absolutely should not be DMing each other (laughs) (laughs) but no seriously like i i i've been following a bunch of these like stories about like like streamers and stuff who are just like oh they did this like bad it's not even you know 
it's it's really weird to for it to have gone from like Harvey Weinstein doing all this like obviously very bad stuff for a very very long time to stories that like kind of just amounts to like a lot of awkwardness just like a dude who like didn't really know what he was doing and like fucked up but in a way that like like I wish could have been handled more gracefully and privately you know like someone could have sit, pulled him aside and be like listen dude that thing you did with that girl at that last conference or whatever it was a little fucked up and weird and let's talk about it instead of like we're gonna blow up your spot in front of everybody on the entire internet and that the entire internet has to somehow take a position on whether or not what you did was like bad enough to what it's just such a it's not a good what i don't know what the word i'm looking for is like protocol it's not it doesn't feel very good to me to settle yeah stuff this well way. i mean it, it feels like i mean i think there's a way in which i mean other people have observed this but like I mean, it's kind of a new puritanism, right? Like there are a very mm-hmm. clear set of rules that people are, impl- are are applying to sex and, you know, everybody in society is just watching and waiting for an opportunity to make judgments on the basis of these rules. And, and like, they know what sexual morality is, or they're going to be able to determine what sexual morality is after the fact. And man, if you fucked it up, like, you know, all these Mrs. Grundy's are going to tear you down and, and, and you're doomed. And I don't know. I mean... Uh, I don't know what. Do you, how much of this do you think was that Obama era um, directive that was sent out from the Department of Education that that set up the like no lawyer like guilty until proven innocent style tribunals at colleges? Um, are you guys familiar with this? Nope. Don't know. Anything. I'm, I'm oh. definitely aware of just like college sexual assault getting clamped down on in an extra legal way that was like very like slapped together culturally and and i think there have been a lot of problems with it um and at the same time it's like it's so hard it's so hard as a woman who's been in a violent relationship to like talk about things like these because like being assaulted on campus sucks and i wouldn't want to belittle that or anything like that but also as someone who's been to law school, like there are like all sorts of standards for ruining people's lives in terms of like burdens of proof and to be able to just be like, we're throwing those out. <laughs> it's like, it's, that is also a culturally very dangerous thing. Yeah, actually that's sort of interesting. I mean, I think this sort of thing has actually been on the decline on college campuses, at least judging by major news stories. In, in the following sense, if you look back to 2014, 2015, you had stuff like that Rolling Stone piece about the, the frat at, was it University of Virginia or something like that, where, where this woman alleged like some kind of terrible fraternity-wide gang rape. And it very quickly became clear after a pu- story was published about this in Rolling Stone that like she was just a disturbed woman who had made all of it up. There wasn't a party held on that night. It couldn't have happened oh. even remotely in the way she described it. And uh, have people, did you know about I've this? I've heard is of this. this yeah. Is this like forgotten internet lore at this I've, point? It's probably not on many people's minds, but I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there's that, there's the, the Duke lacrosse case, which I think was 2005. And man, that looking back on that, that was definitely a precursor to the culture war of you know, the later aughts, but it didn't seem like it touched off such a large thing back then. Um, I think there's, there's, I mean, there, there's sort of a larger question that folds into this of like, when did the internet really start running on outrage? 
And if I had to pick a particular point, uh, I think there, I think a particular kind of like change to the structure of the internet that enabled this, I think it was literally the retweet button on Twitter specifically. Like, and I've, I've read it. Is this like toxoplasmosis of rage? Yeah. Like I, I read an article by the guy who invented the retweet button who was like, we should not have done this. <laughs> this was a bad, <laughs> like he claims that the retweet button is the reason Gamergate happened or like the reason Gamergate blew up the way it did. It was because of retweets. It was like that allowed people to just like retweet outrageous shit and very quickly yeah. and easily. And so allow it to spread and like create sort of like the modern, the modern like viral dynamicness of the internet. It was like, yeah, that one little change to the ui like I, I think the way he described it was like we it was like we gave a four-year-old a gun <laughs> that's how you described it. yeah i mean it because because retweeting existed before that i mean i was on twitter far earlier than my current account but like you know back then you would just type rt and then the handle of the person right. and like copy their original tweet yeah which is far more cumbersome i mean it's like muskets versus you know like a machine gun. guns <laughs> so yeah i don't know but I mean, just thinking about all of that, the the other big one was uh, the mattress girl at Columbia, and she was the yeah mattress girl uh, who who had some kind of an interesting turn to I don't know like non leftist politics a few years ago that was widely covered. But I I don't know I mean like it sounded like the guy she was accusing had pretty clearly not done anything that was worthy of opprobrium, and like they just had some kind of a relationship that went sour, but. I also know somebody who went to Columbia and talking with her and the stories that she personally went through, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I, I kind of want to burn this school down. They are terrible at responding to, to claims of sexual assault. Oh, geez. But I mean, like, you know, the people who are actually doing this stuff, like, you know, some of them had incredibly rich and powerful parents. So like school isn't going to do shit to them. Mm. You know, like the, the guys who seem like they're actually caught up in this stuff are, I mean, basically just the weakest link socially. Like they're not people who have incredibly powerful parents who are likely donors to the school who are not going to tolerate that kind of, you know, aggressive response by, by the school and, and, you know, response to, to rape claims. Like, you know, the school is just going to take you into a back office and talk about how maybe you should let this slide as happened to my friend. Oh, shit. And, and like, you know, cause, and it's just a matter of like the relative social status of the, the accused and the accuser. Ooh. Jeez. Yeah, oh. I, I don't think I don't think I'd send my kid to an Ivy school. Oh boy! So like, I don't know. So so it's just the shitty situation where it's like the usual dynamics playing out. Where you know, if you have a certain amount of social power, you can probably get away with a lot, and if you don't, then you know. But then then rules are made that end up catching people who are basically just like hapless nobodies, and and they still have no effect on you know like really powerful people who are genuine predators. So I'm cranky. Yeah, no kidding. Jesus. It's all very uh. like, here's a sort of maybe weird hot take about this kind of dynamic. Like I think a lot of the problem is that a, like people have this idea that like flirting and like intimacy and sex should be very private. It's like a thing that you do in a bedroom away from and the problem with doing it in a bedroom away from other people is that no one else gets to check if anything really fucked up is happening you know yeah as opposed to like i don't know like flirting with someone at a party like in the in the party where everyone else is or like flirting with someone at like a festival or something where there's just like a lot of other people around or even at a bar like where there's at least some kind of like 
social checks and balances happening. That feels actually much more natural to me. I actually like really like that. And the idea yeah. of just like, and th- this ties in, this is not directly related to what we've been talking about, but like I have a related opinion about like, I think a lot of people have this idea that their relationship troubles are very private by default and they should like, whatever's going on between two people in a relationship, they should sort out with each other. And I'm like, no, like, have you tried that? It often works very poorly because you're trying to talk about this issue with the person who is triggering you the most in the entire world right now about it. And you should bring a third. I, I, I try to tell this to my, to my like friends who are in relationships often. I'm like, you should bring in a third person. You should bring in a third person, please. For the love of God, bring in a third. It doesn't have to be a therapist, right? but like, bring in a third person for their perspective, please. And like, it really matters to me that people get better at this also. Like I think people often don't do this because they don't expect their friends to give very good advice. And I'm like, okay, we should all get better at helping our friends deal with their relationships because I don't think that relationships being super private is like working very well. Like I think I really want relationships to be things that sort of like a community of people are kind of holding all together and like kind of helping make sure it stays healthy and stuff. And of course this gets into all sorts of stuff about like, well, what if I don't like their idea of what a healthy relationship is? What if it's blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's all very complicated, but I, I have a desire for sort of more communal and more kind of local stuff around this. Like I would love if somebody feels very uncomfortable about something that happened to them in a relationship or even they were just flirting, I would love there to be like a council of old wise women or something that just like <laughs> deals with it in a very local way. Just like no need to blow up anybody's spot. Let's just like settle this locally. That would be, that's like kind of a vision or I could, fantasy that i sometimes indulge in yeah this is sorry no no no, go ahead this is this is actually um something that i found really useful about polyamory uh was that you would be like potentially really close with other people who were also dating the partner that was the closest and most emotionally fraught for you and you would be able to talk to your metamors about like Mm -hmm. oh does he do this when he's around you how do you feel it does it drive you crazy or how do you feel what about the other people that you date what are they like like you would get to like be in the inner intimate circle of more people at the same time and have more cross connections and be able to like compare notes and it was something that was really useful that's cool I actually have a completely different opinion <laughs> nice. and, and, and like, I, I would absolutely hate to have to, to be in this kind of a position at all. <laughs> like I, I do not want relationship oversight. <laughs> and I mean like, you know, and like I, I, you know, I'm definitely fine. Like, you know, if someone wants to go and talk about a relationship that I'm in with friends, like please, by all means, you know, like I don't want this to be some kind of a closed system and like people should be able to figure their stuff out. But I have also been in situations where trying to make a relationship and issues in a relationship, a community matter was terrible for everybody involved and excruciating. And then suddenly everybody in the community feels like they need to take sides in this, like what in a lot of ways can be a private matter. And man, that was that, that typically ended poorly. And I, I think I definitely get like, I think there are a lot of advantages with the relationships where, you know, like, for example, like people conspiring to get other people to hook up. Great. I love <laughs> it. And, you know, like if somebody's in a relationship where they're being abused 
like getting support from other people is something that I mean has been very ha- helpful to me personally, and and also I think is like an important check on that that kind of behavior by people. And I, I I think it can also backfire just a lot of the time. Oh yeah, for and sure. I I don't know. I like I mean like you know Celine and I don't really fight about very much at all. But also if we ever did, like that's just not something that we would ever take online and like you know throw to some kind of adjudication i i I think that would just be really excruciating not only for us but maybe for everybody else i'm like i don't want to get involved in someone else's relationship you know like there's there's just this element of like okay if somebody is like hurting you like yeah like let me know what i can do to help you get out of that situation and you know if you're just like miserable in a relationship then you know here's some ideas for what you can do to fix it or here are some ideas about why you should leave. But God, don't drag me into it. I just don't want that. You know? <laughs> That's yeah. Funny. I think I another dark side of this, sorry, is uh, another dark side of this is that I think a lot of this is where the, you know, men are trash, just dump him mentality comes from is like women oh, yeah. air their dirty laundry about their boyfriends. And then, other women who don't have any skin in this relationship, mm-hmm. like trivialize or catastrophize those problems or both. Right. So as we were saying before we were interrupted, um, shit, you were talking about, um, women. Online, yeah. Like the men are trash. Men are trash. Just- oh, men are trash. Right. Yeah. How much of that is, Okay. Um, I think I probably shouldn't stand for too much longer. Um, I need to run to the store and my, I need to pay attention to my wife. Um, so she doesn't just sit with the baby all day, but one, one other thing that I want to touch on along these lines, and I think this is going to let you elaborate a little bit more on the men are trash thing. Um, women's whisper networks about how good men are at sex. <laughs> I know they exist. Explain yourself. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I actually like don't have very many like close female friends. So I am not tightly tied into the whisper network of women. Um, But from from what I know, we trade as much good stuff as bad stuff. In most contexts, like if you're coming with your problems, you're more likely to get this like trivializing or catastrophizing feedback. But in general, I think women are pretty open with each other about what they enjoy and what they don't enjoy and what like is enough for them to end a relationship. Yeah. Oh, you okay, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I've got a, yes. Um, okay. Interesting. I mean like, or actually do you, do you have a second? Huh? What's up? Uh, do you want to talk about women talking about sex <laughs> Sure. What's up? and how they're, how they're like disproportionately raunchy? Oh, is that a thing? Oh, sure. Oh, it's it's totally a thing. And Celine is going to come by and explain exactly how this works. <laughs> take the baby. And I'll, I'll take the baby. Nice. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tag in here. Uh, okay. Take the baby. Good luck. Explain your gender. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure at all. So I'm uh, apparently talking about how raunchy women are. Mm-hmm. Talking about... Okay. Uh, I could mention something about like whisper networks for talking about how good guys are at sex, which is not a thing I know about. So 
<laughs> I guess I'm about to be enlightened also. No, it's a, it's a thing. Like there's, I'm not going to name names cause that's probably rude, but there is someone in the Bay area rationalist community that two different women independently and mostly unprompted. Like it was, it was topical, but I wasn't asking for, for, <laughs> for references. <laughs> two different women have told me that this individual is just really good at sex. Well, they were like, yeah, if you ever get a chance, <laughs> you know, he's great. And, uh, he did end up hitting on me at one point and yeah, he was, just like the, I don't know, the, the pinnacle of non neediness or something. And that was really charming. So, um, but yeah, I'm also thinking of a time around when I hit a little after I hit puberty, I started getting in, I started getting included in, uh, like women's stuff at church and our church was older. I think my family was the only family with kids for quite a long time. And so, yeah, I was like 16 and getting dragged to like women's craft circles and stuff. And it's just these old ladies being extremely, extremely explicit about their bedroom, (laughs) their bedroom situations. Nice. That sounds fun. And, uh, like just stuff, my, like stuff my mom has said, um, yeah, women can be very, uh, very frank <laughs> in a way that I don't think happens in my whatever I imagine like men's locker room talk. And I've, I've been kind of included as one of the guys in some social situations, and I've heard the way men talk about getting laid. Um, and I think it was similar to how they talk to each other, and it was just not like that <laughs> at all. Yeah, they just kind of gesture at it. But women are like, no, we're going to tell you exactly what happened and what was good and what was not. And I don't know. It's like, Uh they're like, yeah, and his his dick had like a slight, you know, 15 degree angle. (laughs) 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 Or like, yeah, this guy sent me a dick pic and, you know, really explicit description of maybe the the produce that it resembled. (laughs) Um. Uh, I can I can start to explain my gender, but I can't really explain this. It seems, uh, I mean, if you're going to talk about it, then talk about it. I don't so know. So it's funny to me. I, I was in a fraternity, you know, a bunch of dudes. We were very close and like we talked about a lot of stuff. We never talked about sex and I can remember. It's possible. Huh. It's possible that they were talking about sex without me. I don't know. I don't think so. Like, I think. We, I like, like this paranoid thought. <laughs> but it, it is possible. It really is just possible that they were talking about sex without me. But like, I think we were all just very like concerned with being chivalrous. Like, honestly, I think we would have been uncomfortable talking about sex with yeah. each other in like a frank way. Also, I don't think we were having a time. We were definitely, they were getting, they were definitely getting laid more than I was, which was zero. Um, so I think they were having it, but like, I think we were all being actually like very coy about it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I know like most of my social circle is, you know, nerdy men. And so I've never, I've never been around guys who are crude in the way that you see like portrayed in, you know, high school movies or something. Like if they were crude, it was kind of like the joke was that they were being crude. Mm. Like they were really leaning into, Oh yeah, I'd tap that. But it was funny because they were acting more obnoxious than they actually were. Um, 
but no, most of most of the men I've been friends with have been like if they disclose details about sex, it's a very one-on-one sort of thing. Like, um, like either you're about to sleep with them or, or they see you as a confidant. Whereas women will just be talking about orgasms at the nail. Salon. <laughs> yeah. We're just making conversation. Wow. Yeah. Like, what do you do if you've never had an orgasm with your husband? Then you're, then they're like, Oh honey, <laughs> Let me tell you. That sounds nice. <laughs> this is, that sounds lovely. It, it can be it can be lovely. Sometimes sometimes you end up in a situation where you're like, oh, I didn't really want to know this about my Sunday school teacher. <laughs> 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 oh, but baby may be getting hungry. Oh, again? He's been yeah. eating most of the time you're you've been oh, on no. here. All right. Okay. I'll, anyway. I'll pass the mic back over. Well, yeah, thank mm. you for that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Come here, baby. Come here, baby girl. I wonder if, I wonder if a lot of why men are more reluctant to talk about sex with each other explicitly has to do with, like, I think you just have to say a lot of things that seem very embarrassing or shameful. Like, just a lot of different variations of, like, oh, yeah, my dick wasn't working very well that night. (laughs) And that's not a fun thing to admit to your bros, you know, like it's like, that's hard territory to go to and be like confident that it will be sort of received gracefully. By, by fellow yeah. You know, you know what, one thing that occurs to me back when I was in grad school, I, for various reasons, wrote a scraper that pulled down. No, let me back up. Um, pretty much any any internet site that you can imagine that exists for like above board, like normal commerce has a parallel for the black market for sex. And so like specifically there, you know, there are like they used to be it used to be Craigslist and then it was Backpage. I don't know what it is now. I've, I've stopped, you know, looking into this stuff. But there also exist a series of sites that are review sites. And it's basically like Yelp but for, for escorts. And I was interested in, in doing some text mining and, and doing some hedonics econometric stuff. And so I, I scraped the entirety of, of some of these sites and pulled down, you know, millions of reviews that men have posted. Okay. Um, say something. Hi. Okay. Yeah. That looks Good like enough. it came through. Okay. So, Anyway, long story short, I ended up with like a million of, of these reviews of escorts by guys. And I ended up reading a lot of them just to, to like think more carefully about how I could how I could parse this stuff. And the interesting thing from my perspective was that like, yes, partly it was like a product review where the guys were going and saying, okay, yeah, this person showed up as described, she was beautiful or she wasn't beautiful. And you know, we did this specific set of things and they were good at it or not. But then there was this element of the reviews that I found really fascinating. And the element of reviews was the guy would also talk about how great they were at sex. (laughs) You'd be like, yeah. And so then we switch over to doggy and I was, I was just like banging this lady and it was great. And then I flipped over to Mish and it was like fantastic. And I was so good at it. And she was like coming over and over. And I was like, why are you putting this in a review? This is a review of you, buddy. But 
it was this really explicit kind of like discussion of guys having sex that I, I mean, I think it was maybe a little bit dishonest. Like nobody was ever like, yeah, I was pretty bad at sex. I wasn't very good at sex with this person. And and that like that never came up. And so I don't know. I'm not really sure what to make of it, but it feels like a very different vibe than what what Celine was talking about with like ladies at her church and talking about how the, you know, guys that they were having sex with had like dicks that were off to the side or, or whatever. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me though. Honestly, like it feels so much about the like symbolic victory of having been good at sex. It's like, ah, I was very good at this sex. Therefore I am a true man or whatever. Yeah. That's really how it occurs to me. And, and based, I, and on, he, based on how, yeah. based on like uh, the escorts that I've known and the way they've described their clients, there's like, there's a lot, they, they basically describe it as a, like, they're basically therapists. <laughs> like, yeah. And I was like, that makes sense. There's a lot of lonely dudes out there. <laughs> it's, it's, the whole, it's just a whole fucking, it's not really about the sex. It's about the symbolic value of that. It's like a whole thing. It's very complicated. Yeah, isn't, yeah isn't part of why we're even talking about it all today was because there was like the video of the girl talking about how if you have sex in front of a mirror the guy will be like oh, yeah, the mirror the mirror guy yeah, the mirror guy <laughs> no i no, and like i support mirror guy you know yeah. i totally support mirror guy like go and be good at sex good for you you know and and i don't know i mean i think there's like there's absolutely nothing wrong with going and appreciating yourself being good at having sex. (laughs) And I don't know. I kind of got the vibe from her that like, she was mad that they were appreciating themselves being good at having sex rather than appreciating her perhaps being good at having sex. You know, she's like, they're not, they're not looking at my tits. You know, they're, they're, they're looking at themselves. Like those are the two options. And that was the alternative that she identified. Like they should be looking at my tits rather than looking at themselves. But I, I don't know. I mean, like, maybe going, uh, I don't know. I think it's fine. I think, like, what's what's the point of even having a mirror if you're not going to look at yourself having sex in it? There is right. a question of where the mirror comes from in that scene. <laughs> like, right? Oh, really? <laughs> I can imagine. Like, did, they, did they decide to set it up on purpose? Did he, was it his idea? Was it her idea? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, I think, like, people... I, I I mean, like, I, I don't think you want to go overboard and I don't think you want to be psychotic, but also, you know, if you're in this, like, if you're taking your best self to the bed and, and like, like, just like go and enjoy the fact that you're having sex, right? Like, that seems great. I mean, so the part of that skit that really stood out to me was the last, the second half sort of, and she was talking about like, I could say literally whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> he would not, it would not change his response at all. I'm like, that sounds terrible. I would not like that either. Like I, when I'm, I would like when I'm having sex with someone for that person to be paying some attention to me, that would be nice. You know, like it would, I I would feel bad if I was being like a hundred percent ignored. I'd be like, well, why am I even here? Yeah. But it also seems like she doesn't like her partners that much. That also seems true. Yes. (laughs) I also got that vibe. You know what I mean? Like, and that, that that seems rude to me. Mm. I don't know. I actually, yeah. What the hell? Like, I would never go online and like start making fun of people I've had sex with. That's incredibly rude. 
does seem very rude, yeah. And there is something that just feels like too polarized and unrealistic about it. Like, I don't know. I have a giant mirrored wardrobe and it's not mirrored by accident. You know, like this is (laughs) something that I want in my bedroom. And when you're having sex and there's a giant mirror nearby, it's really hard not to look at you both. Like it just seems like very unrealistic to me to think that, that the attention is really so self-focused on the part of these guys. And, um, and uh, it it feels like naturally there has to be some self-focus in sex on both parts. Like if you're not paying attention to what's pleasurable to you about the sex that you're having, even if you're trying some of the time to make the other person feel good, it's not going to like, it's not going to matter if you're not into it yourself. Like you have to be into yourself when you're having sex. Yeah. QC, think about it like this. Like imagine having sex with someone and it be like them obviously feeling really uncomfortable about the fact that you're having sex. Oh, and <laughs> no, imagine if you're being that person. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't seem good either. Oh boy. I I mean like I don't know. I like I have been complimented during sex by someone saying, Yeah, you clearly are enjoying yourself. Oh. And like that being a relief for them, you know? That sounds nice. <laughs> like which I and like maybe I think that one of the implications being like a lot of men like are not clearly enjoying themselves. Yeah. And so like I don't know. There's, there's probably this like self-fulfilling prophecy of like, oh no, what if I'm not enjoying myself during sex? I need to enjoy myself. Oh no, just like, <laughs> just like spinning yourself up. But I mean, like, I think you're like, you can go into sex maybe feeling entitled to do that. I, I also need to correct myself. I have complained about people during sex online. I feel entitled because this is the girl who literally started chewing on my lips. Oh right. And I told her to stop, <laughs> and she. And she just laughed at me and kept chewing on my lips. And I looked at them the next morning and they looked like ground beef. It was terrible. They hurt for a week. They were bloody. Oh, no. Oh, jeez. I'm going to do it that one time. (laughs) Yeah, you get a pass for that. Jeez. (sighs) I had a response, but I lost it because of that story. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, like, I was reading a book about sex as one does when one is a hyperverbal nerd and mm-hmm. it was describing ruthlessness as a key component of sexual arousal, which was like kind of a new idea mm-hmm. to me. It was like, there's a way in which you like have to, this was in the context of explaining certain sexual fantasies. It was like, there's a way in which you have mm-hmm. to be ruthless. Both of you have to be ruthless to really be enjoying sex. And that involves a certain kind of disregarding each other's needs in favor of just paying attention to what you want. And I was like, that sounds really hard, but okay. I guess I could give it a shot. Um, and and it go. It, this is in the context of like a whole other thing about how like the function of various kinds of sexual fantasies is to like enable ruthlessness. Mm. Like if you're imagining like being, you know, ravished by like a really strong, powerful dude who like doesn't really give a shit about you. Like part of what's happening there is that that person is being allowed to be ruthless, and you're like, oh, this is great. They're really enjoying themselves. Like, so there is like the the point of the book is that there is like a a a fun good thing about that kind of fantasy, which some people might not easily understand. It's like that seems this seems really aggressive. Like, what's going on here? Uh, that was like kind of eye opening for me, 
and it relates to the stuff we've been mentioning about like sexual confidence and like dominance and like taking control. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I see. There's like a people want each other to be enjoying sex. <laughs> I guess that yeah. makes sense. There's like a lot of pressure that comes with sleeping with a guy who is really hung up on how much he's pleasing you. Like, can you imagine like if you if you were on a date and he made you dinner and the whole time that you're eating dinner, he's like staring at you and trying to tell how much you like the food and you're like chewing and he's like practically in your mouth trying to figure out how it's going for you. And you're just like, dude, I really can't enjoy my food when you're like staring at me and like paying this level of attention to me, like it makes me feel really awkward and self-conscious. So if you could also eat your food, that would be fucking fantastic. And then we could enjoy a meal together instead of whatever is happening right now. Like that's kind of what it's like. Yeah. So, so like, you know, if you notice, like if you notice someone across the table from you is like turning green or starting to choke, like yeah. maybe something has gone horribly <laughs> wrong and be like, Hey, wait, are you okay? And like, and like check in. But yeah, I th- I think like up to that point, like if someone doesn't obviously look discomforted, like maybe, maybe the default during sex should be like assuming that things like, and, and not for everybody, but just like maybe a way to think about it is like, assume that the other person is there and wants to be there unless they start showing signs that they don't want to be you know and rather than having this like affirmative consent being like really psychotically enforced just like trust somebody to tell you if they want you to do something differently which i to an extent i wonder i and i'm not sure about this like i wonder if that could be something that women could be somewhat better about um i i don't have this complaint myself but like like you can imagine like if there was a norm for women to just say, Hey, do this thing differently, or just, I guess everybody like you're doing this thing, but I'd rather you be doing this thing. And just like people be more open about it when they wanted something to change. Like if you feel comfortable that someone that you're with is going to be able to do that, then if they're not doing that, you can just like assume, okay, they want me to be doing this at this point in time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think women in general um, have internalized this message that men's sexual egos are unbelievably fragile And there's like this weird norm of like, you should accept having orgasms from like penetrative sex, like less than 25% of the time rather than give explicit direction in bed. Um, And it's really surprising, I think, to a lot of women to find out how like open men are to like like very direct instructions in the bedroom and that often they find it really enjoyable and a sign of like engagement and they're really it takes the pressure off of them and they're not having to do as much guesswork and i mean it's not for all men i would love directions explicit directions sounds so good it's like oh finally i just know what you want me to do like thank fuck you know yeah tremendous relief to me personally and i think i mean there are men who uh like maybe feel a sense of entitlement and have been having a lot of sex where they get to be in control of the entire interaction the whole time. And it would be difficult for them to like learn how to like enjoy taking direction. And that would be something they'd have to put effort into. I think on women's end, there's also a lot of women who never really figured out what feels good to them in the first place. And they're insecure about it and they're embarrassed and they don't want to like, 
sit in the bedroom with six different vibrators and like experiment <laughs> it out. And so they like pass it off as if it's like, oh yeah, men, they just only care about themselves. And it's like, well, I don't actually really know what to say. Uh, if I, if I w- had to give directions, I wouldn't know what they would be. Um, and I, so I think there's like, in, like in a lot of cases, there's work to be done on both ends of a heterosexual interaction to ensure that both people are like truly engaged and having a good time such that the default could be like, we're both fucking loving this unless someone says otherwise. Um, But I think that, yeah, I think that's part of where sex neutrality might be really useful. I think like sex positivity maybe sometimes makes it seem like, well, sex is great. So you shouldn't be having any questions about how to make it great. <laughs> sex is great. <laughs> sex is great. You're not enjoying it. What the fuck is wrong with you? Oh, exactly. No. Oh. Where it's like, <laughs> so you know, enjoying sex, it takes some work. It takes some self-knowledge. It takes some tinkering. It takes takes a lot of tinkering in a lot of cases. So if, if we had more of a sex-neutral ne- vibe, it might be more accessible to people to be like, yeah, you're going to have to experiment. You're going to have to ask some questions. You're going to have to give some directions. Like all of that is part of a normal sex life. Yeah. Eigen, there was a, there was a thing you mentioned just now about like, ah, what if we could just kind of assume that if people have a problem with, with what's happening, then they'll speak up about it. And like, I have had experiences with women where I really could not assume that. And like assuming that would have gotten me a lot. Like I, this is a whole thing we could we probably don't have time to get into, but I'll just, I'll just tell the story very briefly. Uh, a very brief version of the story, very briefly, uh, which is that I was involved with a woman who like, first of all, she was extremely bad at communicating when she didn't like something that was happening uh, for, you know, all sorts of reasons. Uh, she just had a really hard time doing it. Uh, so when something happened with me that she didn't like, it would so it would take her sometimes like months to tell me. Like I'd hear months later that she would ah. and I was like, oh my God, I wish you had said something earlier. Holy fuck. Like this includes and the second thing, part of the reason that she had a hard time with this is that she had like this very strong non-consent kink. And so mm-hmm. sometimes when stuff oh, happened no. that she didn't want, she just got turned on. And this includes the first time we kissed. When I kissed her for the first time, I thought she was into it. I was like, I feel like I have read what is happening here. It seems like you're being turned on by this. That seems good. Let's keep going. And then like literally months later, she was like, actually, I was not into it, which is why I was turned on. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened to me? Like this is, I am honestly probably still not done. This is some like Russell shit. (laughs) I'm just like. The woman who's into every sexual encounter that she's not into. Like. I mean, literally, this is actually one of the, so I also mentioned I was like friends with some escorts. This is one of the escorts that I made friends with. And she like, she described sometimes like shit happening with her clients. And she's like, yeah, sometimes my clients get super aggressive and I like, it. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God, girl. Like and in the beginning there was, it was this whole like fucking, I was like really impressed with her. Honestly, I was like, well, you're into some really dark shit. That's honestly kind of cool. And then it, when it started being about like, oh, hey, that thing you did, I didn't like it, but I also liked it because I didn't like it. I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? Like, it left me very confused for a very long I would, time. About I would, I would not treat sense, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't take that as a, I, I wouldn't establish law based on that case. Yeah, I think she was a pretty extreme example, but I think there's sort of like, I think 
some kind of like girls who are like low key into non consent is like pretty common. I've heard versions of this of that from like several different dudes, and it just confuses me. I'm like, how do we? What do we do about this? <laughs> like, I don't well, know so how to talk about this. So, so what you do is is you develop a certain like psychic capacity that lets you know exactly what yeah, that's- they want as far as they don't want. I'm I'm not even making this up. Like just just vibe it, man. Just like be able yeah. to read everything perfectly. And, <laughs> that seems like the um, way to go, yeah. And and like also if you can't do that, like probably don't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And yeah. and and like I don't know. I mean like it, it seems like a reasonable thing to say just like early in sex, hey, if you want me to be doing something different, you should tell me. Yeah, that seems good. And just like we cool on that and and, and <laughs> You know, and just like establishing that as a baseline and and like so like simultaneously establishing one that like, you know, you are going to be paying attention and like are like really interested in getting feedback. Like if you don't want me to do this, you should definitely tell me about that. Or if you do want me to do something else, you should tell me about that, too. And also just to also, I, I don't know, just like leaving that expectation open and also giving you the confidence that like if you're not being told to do something else, then probably what you're doing is great. Yeah. This is, I think where like vanilla people could learn a lot from the BDSM community because there, there are tons of women who are into non-consent or aggression or pain. But when you actually like go into the BDSM community looking for that, they like give you a huge vocabulary for describing what it is you want and what it is you don't want and how to gut check it and what you should be subjecting yourself to if this is really new to you and how to get to a point where you can do things that are like more intense and more dangerous because you have the experience to like build the right container for that and then because there's like a mutual understanding and a mutual vocabulary and an explicit container people in a BDSM scene can have this, like, unless you use your safe word, I assume that, you know, this is what we agreed that we're going to enjoy together. I feel like outside of the BDSM context, vanilla sex is like missing a lot of vocabulary and a lot of uh, explicit containers and all of these things that are necessary to make the BDSM world safe would be really useful to make the vanilla world enjoyable. Hmm. I disagree with that, but I think I, I don't know my, the, it's probably more of a personal feeling rather than, rather than something that's a universal critique. Yeah. Like I, I so get that a lot of people, a lot of people prefer to just vibe and don't want to have to have a vocabulary and don't want to have to set a container. I think that, um, there there's definitely like the women that I'm thinking about who are experimenting for the first time, trying to figure out what it is that they like in bed or women who have like strange fantasies that sometimes come online and sometimes don't or non-consent kinks or like, just in general are getting comfortable with giving more direction when that's not something that was like a normal part of their sex life, but it's something that partners are asking them for and they're trying to give it to them. I think that there's like tools that the BDSM community that can be like helpful for those kinds of things. But at the same time, like part of sexual communication could be about like going meta and saying, this is, 
the kind of sexual communication that I prefer. Oh uh, yeah. Going. Yeah. I, sh- I should also be clear that I'm on record as, as denying the existence of fetishes. So, Whoa. you know, <laughs> <laughs> take, take anything I say with a grain of salt. Um, okay, cool. I should, I should hop off soon. Do you guys have any closing thoughts or anything you want to like any, any complaints you'd like to register with me? Oh, just like, I just feel like we could keep going for hours on this. Like there's really, it's a fat, fast topics right here. That we yeah. Decided yeah. To it's get true. Into. Like I could tell other stories and tell you how I feel about those stories. And, yeah. Like, there are entire other worlds that we could explore together. Maybe you should have us like be your bi-monthly people or something. It's like, and now we're back to this segment. That could be fun. We could, yeah, actually, we could, we could sit and take reader questions about about sex. Oh my and god, that'd be fun. Actually, I mean, we we're talking about doing some kind of Twitch stuff, um, sort of along the lines of what uh, what Kersey does, mm-hmm. and and maybe it'd be good to have just like intermittent or, or like monthly monthly sex discussion panels, and yeah. um, and and it just like take take complaints from readers. That would be fun. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. fun. It's let's like, let's explore this. It, it feels yes. very silly for me specifically to like position myself as if I know anything about sex. Like I've probably had the least sex of anyone in in group. I probably had the least sex of anyone I know. But like, that, I, 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 I know perfect for a fact for the that is not true. I, I still have. Many opinions. <laughs> I still have so many opinions. It's just very silly. Like, where did? Why do I think I know anything about this? But. We need ha- non-chad representation on the <laughs> monthly sex. <laughs> I take offense at the implication that I am not a chad. I could be you're, a virgin you're a chad. chad. I could be a virgin chad. You know, proto yeah. chad. Yeah, an aspiring himbo. There we go. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. And anything from you, maybe? No, just this was really enjoyable, and I I think that it's a really fun topic to explore and that there's so many areas to talk about and every time that i get to do a podcast and talk about sex i i feel better about my whole life after so i would love to do <laughs> nice. it again excellent <laughs> cool well congratulations enjoy enjoy this massive reset um yes. I, I i hope that your i hope that your like qualitative gains are, are massive um <laughs> Guys, thanks for coming on and talking. I uh, really appreciate you guys like tossing it together after um, after our earlier miss today. Yeah. And uh, yeah, let's let's try and figure something out. This would be fun to do again with with greater use, like reader input and yeah, totally. and like just mm-hmm. riffing in real time. Nice. So, okay, take care, guys. Yeah. See you. Thanks, Thank guys. you. Oh, I, I better go. This is my station.